Hi, hello, my name is Kayla Goodrich. I am your host, and this is Mind and Body Wellness. Welcome to Mind and Body Wellness. Today we're going to be talking about my personal philosophies as a music therapist in training and just a human being on this earth. Uh, Please remember that these podcasts are my own opinions and the knowledge that I've gained over my university career. I am not a registered health professional yet, so this is not... um, this is not healthcare. If you need treatment, please go see a registered health professional. You are worthy of being healthy, of having your needs taken care of, okay? But that boring stuff out of the way. Today's topics, there's a few, but they all kind of mesh together, so just bear with me. The first thing we're going to start off with is theories that create the foundation of my philosophies of what I think music therapy is best suited for me and hopefully the people I work for and how I want to be a health professional in this world. Then we're going to talk about the models I resonate with. This models is like If you know talk therapy or speech-language therapy, there's physical therapy. It's kind of like that, but all within the scope of music therapy. I'll explain more as we go, okay? Don't don't stop listening just yet, okay? It gets better. (laughs) Then we're going to talk about methods of music therapy, like how I would actually practice in a session with a client and how I would like to help that person. Then we're going to talk about techniques is how I will help that person, what we will be doing together, the type of secret knowledge that you learn as a music therapist. You know, Biases are normal. When using a scientific model to do experiments to figure out fundamental um, quote-unquote truths, I quote-unquote truths because it is very hard to actually define that word and what it means in different contexts. So, just kind of the idea of one sort of underlying fact. Let's go with that. When using the scientific model, you have to get rid of all of your biases. You That's why they have double-blind studies where the actual scientist does not know who the participants are. The participants do not know the scientist and who gets what or does what or goes where is all randomly decided and the scientist does not know. Neither do the patients or participants. Some people think that biases should be pushed aside for therapies as well. And that is not what I think. Um, We'll get, of course, more into it. But my biases as a human, yours as a human, is what makes us us. It's not necessarily a bad thing. I'm, I am 5'4 sometimes. (laughs) So that affects how I see the world. I am a woman. That very much affects how the world sees me and how I interact with the world. I am uh, visibly a person of color. It's all these things that make you who you are and make you have certain experiences over other experiences. 
And I think that there is a time and place for that in music therapy. But I'll get more into my individual biases so that when we talk about the rest of these philosophies, it'll be easier for you to have a more clear understanding of why I believe what I believe and how or how not it aligns with you and your experiences and your values. And I would like to acknowledge my sources for today. I have a lot, so bear with me. I'll also repeat them when we get to them. There is uh, Kay Crenshaw, who is an amazing, amazing person of color, woman of color, who coined the term intersectionality. We'll go into that, but she is just a a bomb-ass woman. I am also using... Baines and Edwards, who wrote about anti-oppressive research. Um, Khan, who also wrote about anti-oppressive research. We have Tabula Rasa and Human Nature Philosophy by Robert Dushinsky. I think I said that close to what it is. (laughs) Then also Carolyn Kenny, who is a hero of mine. As soon as I found out who she is and what she does, I fell in love with her. Then we'll also be talking about Bonnie and the Bonnie method that she created about imagery and music. We'll be talking about Nordoff and Robbins Music Therapy by Nordoff and Robbins. Uh, And a really kind of weird one. See, now we're getting into the weirder, cooler side of, of things. We'll be talking about... Steven Nakmanovich, who has an amazing book out, kind of a cuckoo wacko man, but does make good points. And Jared Singer, who is a phenomenal poet, wrote a poem, put it up on YouTube, him saying it, that perfectly coincides with this episode and my own philosophies. Okay, let's get into my biases. Uh, slash just who I am. If you listen to my earlier podcast, the one before this, or the intro, you may already know this, but uh, I have found out new things about myself since recording that last one. So even if you did hear it, why don't you just sit through and we'll rediscover things together. So I am a multi-minority, sounds a little fancy, It's really not. (laughs) I think a lot of people are, no, I know a lot of people are multi-minorityed, but, and yes, that's kind of a word I just created. I have no idea if multi-minorityed, minorityed, I don't think that's English, but it is for now. (laughs) Everyone, almost everyone is multi-minorityed. You know, that means that you have two or more minority groups that make up who you are. I am a female. That is a minority. I am a mixed individual, and the world sees me as black, which is another minority. So together, those two, multi-minority. And a lot of people have that if you are female and queer or female and disabled. Uh, male, male isn't necessarily a minority, unless then you're talking about uh, men of color, 
then yes. But that's kind of under the race category. It It is weird, but I do believe that unless you are a pure, white, straight, uh, cis man, probably middle-aged and, and upper-middle class, then you are a minority to the systems that we are in in our culture. And around the world, humans decided to put these systems in, and now we're here having to deal with it. I mean, not that people didn't deal with it before, but you know what I'm saying. So, yes, I am a biracial female. The world sees me as black because my skin is darker. I have curly hair. I have brown eyes. So on first look, everyone just says, ah, a woman of color. Although I have changed my hair enough now that they also say, ah, a woman of color who is queer. <laughs> also the rainbows I wear. That kind of gives it away as well. But those are three minorities that I'm part of. I'm part of the queer community. I am a female and I am a uh, mixed ethnicity person. And that is very complex. Everything interacts together to make very interesting life uh, experiences. Interesting and in good and bad ways. There's not really a, a and like a definitive of whether I super love it or not. There, it comes and goes. But if I am this complex of a human being, how would I treat someone else as not that complex? That makes no sense in my head. I know that I have complex feelings. I have many different experiences in my life. I have different thoughts. I have, you know, just all of this. And my future clients will also have that because they are also a human in this world, in today. And I really think that is one of the most important things to understand when being a therapist of any kind is that, yes, you may have the degree, you may have the expertise to help that person, but you're both just still people. And you should treat them as such. Another bias of mine is that uh, my culture, my family, the part of my family that is black is from Barbados, a beautiful island in the Caribbean. And the Bayesian culture, and Bayesian is how you say a person from Barbados, in case you do not know. In the Bayesian culture, family is the most important thing. They're ever was, ever will be. <laughs> Family is it. And so that's been instilled in me for my whole life. Uh, until I want to say grade seven, grade eight, I did not realize that not everyone saw their extended family once a month at least. We were just always together because like they're fun. We're having fun. They're family. It's all going hunky-dory, why not? But apparently that's not normal. And then as I grew up, I realized that's a, that's a cultural thing that I have. So I, throughout my life, have been focused on family bonding and fa familial love. You know, there's different types of love. There's romantic, there's friendship, there's family, all that stuff. 
So I'm taking this cultural view into my practice, into my philosophies, because it's me. And I am the therapist, you know? I can't separate that. I could really, really try, but I think it would make me a worse music therapist. I, myself, um, benefit from transferable skills. You know, as a music therapist, we are highly recommended to be in therapy ourselves, just because when you are working with people who have big things that you are now their person to talk to, you're going to need someone to talk to. It's just a lot of emotion. That's plain and simple of it. So when I am in therapy, I want transferable skills. I want something that when I leave the therapy session, I can still use, access, and rely on. If you come to a session and you feel great, hunky-dory, it went perfectly, beautifully well, and then you exit, and something happens in your life, something like the straw that broke the camel's back, it could be one simple thing, it could be something huge, and you then don't know how to handle it because that exercise, that feeling you got from your session is back in that session, in that room with that therapist. It's not here with you in that moment that you need it. So I want the things that I can travel with as my little luggage bags so that when I go into something that's um, a little insane, I have these tools. I don't have to run back to the therapist room One of my last biases that we'll talk about today, and I'm sure I'll make another episode on it another day, uh, is spirituality. I grew up Christian, had a falling out with the church like many queer people do, and now I'm just a spiritual person in general because I still do need that type of comfort and security in my life that there's something bigger and something that we are all connected to. And that does very much play into the theories and philosophies that I have. Because if I were not one to believe that we are all connected somehow, then maybe my theories wouldn't be humanistic or holistic or, you know, all about intersectionality. Those are the theories that I resonate with the most, that I would love to put into everyday practice but they're all about community and recognizing that there's a human sitting across from you and not just a client. So yeah, those are my biases. Take them, leave them, and just keep them in mind while you listen to the rest and maybe some of the things I say will make a bit more sense. Theoretical foundations. They are... Just basically what your morals, what your values are. There, It's the way that you look at life. It's the way that you walk and behave through life. Everyone has different ones. We can all have very similar ones if, you know, if you get along with the things I say, if they resonate for you. But everyone's are different. My theoretical foundations are humanistic, holistic, intersectional, radical inclusion, slash anti-oppressive. So 
what do those mean, Kayla? I have no idea what those words you just said are. Yeah, I didn't for a long time too. Don't worry. <laughs> we'll go through them. So humanistic for me is just the way that you recognize that someone else is also a human. We aren't on a board to be studied. Life doesn't happen in a vacuum and therapy shouldn't either. Like I said before, how will anything you go through in sessions help you in the real world if they can't be in the real world? I, as a music therapist, am not going to be just standing there saying, yeah, the world's great. There's no systematic oppression. We just have to work on you and what's happening directly in this problem that you are asking me about. But then you go out into the real world and you're like, okay, we came up with a solution that I like. But then the world structures are completely oppressive. And then you can't do that strategy because the world is stopping you. So now you don't have a strategy and you're back to square one. And probably going to find another therapist. <laughs> I would. A lot of the theories I have kind of just mesh together at the basis of what they are. Like holistic and humanistic. Humanistic is, hey, I'm a human, you're a human. Holistic is, you are not just a doctor. You're not just a female. You are not just queer. You are not just Hispanic. All these things, it that's not your, that's not just who you are. You're all of them combined. You are a what did I say? A Hispanic female doctor? <laughs> yeah, I think that's what I said. <laughs> every single facet of you, every little bit and piece is important. And that's what holistic is. It's going, hey, this is a fully rounded, complex human in front of you. You can't just see what you want to see. You have to, as the music therapist and as any therapist, see the whole being and even see the parts that they can't see themselves. I know, dun dun dun, scary. But that's the point, is to help them in ways that they were not able to on their own, because that's why they came to you. And the next foundation is also pretty much, you know, right hand in hand along those two is intersectionality. Intersectionality was coined by an amazing, amazing woman of color, Kay Crenshaw, and she has a bunch of TED Talks. You definitely should go watch them. She is a dynamic speaker, but she is also just a boss of a woman. She has broken so many glass ceilings. She has done so much for women, for people of color, for women of color, all of it. And she is where I get my intersectionality self from. Watching her, reading about her, and what she coined as intersectionality is where mine stems from. And at its most basic is just they're, mul they're multiple things. They're not just one person. They're not just one facet of a person. Treat them as such. I'm not just a female. I am a 
female of color. And female females of color get treated much differently than just females who are not of color. A queer person of color does get treated differently than a queer person who is not of color. So intersectionality is realizing this and realizing the very specific dynamic that they have that the world sees. I'm not going to help if I go, oh, you are a female. Let's work on just the white patriarchy and being and it being bad. Whereas you want to work more on just getting other non-colored females to listen to you. Because sometimes you can be left out. It's the whole picture is what I'm trying to say. Through humanistic, holistic, and intersectional theoretical foundations, it's acknowledging that the human that I'm working with is a full human. And everything that I go through, they have similar types of experiences. You know, I go through um, oppression. They, many people do as well, even if it's not the exact same type of oppression. The next part is again, I mean, speaking of oppression, the next theoretical foundation I have is something that I think it's my favorite. And by favorite, I mean the one I'm most passionate about and the one that I want to work my butt off at achieving for the people around me, my clients, my friends, family, the community at large. And that is anti-oppression and how I have been starting to view it as radical inclusion. So anti-oppression, we are getting uh, the definition from Edwards and Baines and their anti-oppressive research uh, article. It's very interesting. I highly suggest you read it. But they describe it as mm, directly moving against oppression. And I use the word directly because it's not that you yourself aren't racist. It's that someone around you says something racist and then you go, hey, don't do that. That's racist. That is directly moving towards and again, towards anti-oppression and against oppression. A bystander is not directly moving forward. I'm sorry, but it's not. Part of being an anti-oppressive music therapist is advocating for your clients, especially if you have ones that are nonverbal. You, as their therapist, do get to know them quite well. That's what therapy is. You get to have a type of bond that no one else has with them. With the advocation comes changing the community and the structures. All good things, by the way. All good things. But Edwards and Baines just, for me, emphasize the fact that it starts with you. It starts with this one person coming into your session and being a ball of light and you wanting to help them in any way you can. There is one thing that I do find 
difficult to swallow. H.F. Kahn, in their Resources for Everyday Anti-Oppressive Practices, which is a great resource to look at, and it gives a lot of practical examples, but they ask in those examples, are you comfortable challenging oppressive language? Do you have the vocabulary? A lot of us don't. I don't have all the vocabulary. I don't know. And that does limit me from speaking out sometimes because of the fear of you not knowing the answer so they don't believe the answers you do know. No one wants to think about bad, uncomfortable things. Forcing ourselves to think about it is not fun. But it will be fun for the people after us. I know it's hard to think about people that you've never met and maybe never will having fun because you are doing this hard work now. But again, I am very family oriented. I am based in humanistic and holistic and intersectional theories. Hi to everyone who's back. <laughs> There's one last thing that I want to say about anti-oppressive practice. This, this could be an episode in and of itself, but we got lots of things to talk about, so I'm gonna wrap this part up. And I'm gonna wrap it up with uh, Paul Moore, who wrote an, an article about the different sides of oppression. It's quite easy to think of, you know, when you think of oppression, you think, okay, racism, sexuality, that's a big one we all know happens. Uh, gender, also a big one that we all know happens. But the one that I bring this up for and that really made me think is that one of the sides is ableness, ability. Are you, is your body able or disabled? I know that part of the reason why it never crossed my mind before I started really digging into these topics uh, two, three years ago, it's because my body is abled. So I didn't even have to think about it. Many of the people I know are able-bodied. But now a lot of people I know aren't. And it means a whole new thing to me. When I was reading this article by Paul Moore, it kind of clicked. I'm like, oh yeah, that's not the best <laughs> that I didn't even consider or think about ableism and how I was very much doing that by not doing anything. See, I could, I'm tying it all back up with a, tying it with a pretty nice bow that if you are not actively getting rid of oppressive practices, you are part of that practice. There's no sitting on the sidelines for this. It's one or the other, and it may make you uncomfortable to fully 
identify with one or the other. And if it does, I again ask, pause it, pause this, and ask yourself why. Why does it, why is it different? Now there is one theory that I full-heartedly disagree with, so I'm going to tell you about it. There's this term that I have been more or less in love with since I was 15, and it is tabula rasa by Locke. If you don't know much about philosophy, he's one of the big guys. He's He did a lot of stuff, and one of his biggest ones was tabula rasa which means that you are a blank slate. A lot of religions think you are born good. Some think you are born bad and then you get baptized or initiated and then you're good. Whereas Locke here is saying you are none of the above. There's no preset morals. Locke says that we are all born completely blank. I am going to read a quote from Robert Dushinsky. Dushinsky. I am going to read a quote from Robert Dushinsky. Oh my goodness! I am going to read a quote from Robert Dushinsky's "The souls of the newborn are just tabula rasa." Afterwards. They are filled in by observation and reasoning. There is no laws of natures born in them. But our inquiry, whether the law of nature is written in the souls of men, we actually mean if there are any moral propositions inborn in the mind, i.e. good or bad. I do know that we don't live in a vacuum. What happens when they leave my door and this blank canvas isn't just beside them all the time? It it doesn't make sense to me. There are some therapists who do think that that is the point of being a therapist in general. Like, doesn't matter which type of therapy. It's just to be this blank canvas for the client to do with that what they may but that doesn't make sense to me (laughs) so now I want to talk about the models of music therapy specifically I resonate with the first one and my favorite is by Carolyn Kenny she is a just an amazing indigenous Canadian music therapist who has the best ideas I've ever seen. (laughs) Sadly, she passed in 2017, so I cannot meet her, but oh boy, I would have loved to pick her brain. She wrote a very good book called The Field of Play, Ecology of Being in Music Therapy. And in this field of play, She goes over a few things. The first being that there are seven categories, seven energy fields within this field of play. The first one is the aesthetic. Now that 
is all about a human person and you being a person and the person across from you being a person. It's, and she calls it a field of beauty, which I love. If that doesn't make you smile, I don't know what will. Calling every human beautiful just for being human. I love that because she's right. Being human, being this evolved from where we as humans started is pretty beautiful. Next, she has the musical space, which is about the energy that the music takes up in between the two people. And it goes on to parts that are still very important, but don't stand out to me as much. There is the field of play, which just means where humans and music live has to be safe for that person to be in. Otherwise, they're not going to feel free. And one of the last things is she says, try not to try. Quoi? <laughs> try not to try. I don't, if you can figure that out on the first try, haha, then good on you. It took me a little bit. But it just means that when we actively try super hard to do something, it does not come off genuine and people can feel it. So Carolyn Kenny is saying, don't do that. This is a way of life, not just one type of song you can play. So it's going to come the way your philosophies of life come. They just show up in the things you do. They aren't specifically what you do. The next thing that I am very interested in uh, is the Bonnie method. Who is Bonnie? What is her method? Don't worry, I'll tell you. She coined the term and the type of music therapy that is guided imagery and music. Think of a happy place exercise, you know, where you go to a happy place in your head. That, but on steroids, and then add music. That's as basic as I can get that explanation. <laughs> and I did get all of this information from published on Wiley Online Library. It is Pivotal Moments and Changes in the Bonnie Method of Guided Imagery and Music for Patients with Depression. It is amazing and complicated. You need a whole separate accreditation on top of just your normal music therapy in order to do this. So although I love it dearly and agree with many of the properties, I cannot use it right now because I do not have the training and I'm not going to use it. Will I use meditation? Probably, but it's different. And to help explain why it's different, here is a quote from that article about what exactly GIM is. GIM, Guided Imagery and Music, refers to all forms of music-centered imaging in an altered state of consciousness and facilitates exploration of consciousness that can lead to transformation and wholeness. Basically, you're going to be there. The music therapist will be putting on music and guiding you through this inner imagery world. And when you are brought back to 
this world, the more physical, then there are new insights into your life. Another music therapy specific model and one of the ideas that Nordoff and Robbins created uh, in their themes for therapy. They discovered the musical child and that is that everyone in the world, no matter what, has musical ability and can have fun with music. I do believe that everyone can play music. I started out very young, so I've had lessons for a long time. Can I play different type of music because I've had lessons for a long time? Yeah, but I don't want to. I don't want to play classical music. I'd rather play pop. And if you taught yourself piano or guitar, that's probably what you play. Everyone has this musical ability. And that really transfers for me into what we were talking about with Carolyn Kenny. And what with that with Stephen Nakmanovich, a crazy old cuckoo man who is an improvisational musician who plays violin. He has written a few books. I have one. I'm going to get a second eventually. And the one that I have is what we're going to talk about. It's called Free Play. I learned about this, I think, two years ago. And only this year did it fully click with the rest of the music therapy theories I was being taught about. His whole idea throughout the whole book, it has many chapters, some are really weird, some are amazing. His whole idea is that as adults, we've lost our inner child. The wonderment, the excitedness, the questioning, the curiosity, all of it. And that through improvisation, we can gain that back. In his book, it directly says that the more constraints one imposes, the more one frees oneself of the chains that shackle the spirit. And I love that. Because constraints sounds evil, sounds like a bad word. But in this context, and in my context of what models I would like to use, it's called limitations. And it means that you have a set parameter to play within, and then you can do whatever you want. There's just one, two, maybe three rules, and then you do whatever you want. And those rules come together to create a free space. Because when you're looking at a full instrument or a full room of instruments and and your music therapist goes, okay, play something, that is a lot. That I would definitely be stuck trying to pick what instrument for the whole session. But if they say, here's a guitar, you can only use this one string, you go, okay, and then you do it. Because there's only one option. You can, of course, move your finger up and down the fret to make different notes, but it's still just that one string. And psychologically, it just somehow frees everyone from their self-doubt. It gives the responsibility to something else. And in this context, that's okay. So the models that I 
just talked about, for me, kind of boil down to one sort of method. Maybe we'll just call it the Kayla method now. (laughs) And it's just that there is a child of music, of wonderment, of natural energy inside everyone. And everyone can contact that through music. And that's how we are connected. I don't know, I can't say it better than that at the moment. It just, it makes sense to me. Okie dokie, let's get on to methods. Now this one's definitely a shorter little segment because I really only have two, three big thoughts about methods and what I would like to use. Obviously, it will change over time and grow big or get smaller, whatever it does. But right now, this is what it is. This is all it is. I want to make a lasting impact on one individual at a time. A lot of us right now are trying to change the world because it does need changing. And who else is going to do it right now? And taking a lead in that, or just trying, is amazing. I choose to spend my time of trying to change the world, changing and helping as many individual people as I can. How can we topple a government, for say, or just get lawyers to start being better to people of color unless how are we going to do that if all of the people who are willing to go and do that can't even handle their own life stressors so they can't go up to a courthouse and be and demand equality i want to help people in a way that makes them able to take this help outside of the session, help themselves, and then go on to help other people who go on to help other people who go on to help the world. I do firmly believe that it's got to start on your own front door before you can help everyone else. There's no way for us to cure hunger in a third world country by sending all of our food and money if we can't even feed everyone here in Canada. This lasting impact, what I really do mean is that I will help my clients help themselves. I will give them tools and activities that they can do as soon as they leave this place, the session room, and they can do on their own without me there to help them. I'm not going to be there all the time. They only have as many sessions as they book. And I and they didn't book a 24 hours. So I'm not with, with, with them for 24 hours. But I still want them to be safe, healthy, and happy for those 24 hours. And there is a great poem by Jared Singer that says this, my idea, better than I can. 
and he says it much more beautifully than I would if I tried to <laughs> to read a quote of his. This poem is called Just Take a Shower, and you can find it on the button, like a button-up shirt, poetry web page, which I really recommend going to. If you ever need a good cathartic cry, there is so much good poetry. Uh, so let's listen to that right now. I sat in my own filth for three weeks until a dear friend walked into my room carrying a towel, hoping that I was not another impossible task and said, you are taking a shower right now. That shower was the hardest thing I have ever done. You cannot get over somebody, but you can take a shower and then you can get dressed and then you can find your keys, and then you can go grocery shopping, and then you can do your laundry, and then it's ten years later, and they are still dead, and you are happy. I don't believe in God, but I do believe in miracles, in things so large that they seem impossible, but when you do them one tiny step at a time, you get them done. Taking a shower is a miracle. Laughing is a miracle. Being here is a miracle. That, every time I listen to it, chills me to the bone. It is so raw, emotional, and accurate, especially to the things that I believe and want to do with my life. You may not be able to do this one huge impossible thing, but you can get out of bed one foot at a time. You can, if you are in bed and it is too hard to move, what you can do is wiggle the toes on your left foot. Okay, and then wiggle the toes on your right. Now you can wiggle your fingers. And slowly but surely, you keep going until somehow you're standing up. And now you just keep going one foot in front of the other until somehow you're in the kitchen eating food. That is the type of thing I want to do. Or the type of thing I want to help people do for themselves. And now for the fun part, how in the world would I do that? This is where music therapy specific techniques come into play. And the ones that I'm going to focus on are the ones that I hope to use the most to help um, my clients may get to and maintain their goals. One is called scaffolding. And this is a very basic uh, psychology term, which a lot of people do without realizing that there's a term for it. Scaffolding is when, say, your niece, nephew, son, daughter, grandchild, of any whatever, needs your help to do a math problem. Actually, no, we're not going to use a math problem because I don't know math enough to make, a to make a good metaphor around that. Let's use English. Your, whoever it is to you who's younger, is trying to learn how to spell. You 
are now going to try and help them, what would you do? If your answer was to write the word for them, that's not helping. Because the next time they need to write the word, you may not be there. They need to know how to do it themselves. So what do you do? Well, maybe you sit down and they're writing the word cat. So you go through each letter with them, say, what does that look like? Maybe it looks like a circle or a half circle. Can we draw a half circle? And you break it down so small that they are still doing the work. You are just leading questions for them to answer. Then as soon as they have that part down, you move it up a notch where you go, okay, try drawing it maybe. And as this person to you keeps getting better and better, you do less and less work. Scaffolding holds up sides of buildings while people renovate the top or do work on the outside. And as this structure keeps getting built and getting sturdy, the less scaffolding you need. Because the scaffolding is to help an unstable building, but now it's stable, so you don't need all that. So don't do it. Just like writing the word for them. That doesn't help them, doesn't help you. So instead, use scaffolding. Another technique that I am in love with, maybe just because I like it and it helps me, but if I like it and it helps me, I know that it's going to help at least one other person in the world. And it's called holding and containing. This is, as a music therapist, how you hold space for another person. You go, here's a nice clear Tupperware. Give me your stuff. We'll put it in there and I'll hold it. You can look. I'll hold it. I know it's heavy. And then we can talk about what's in there. They are, they have a bag of baggage, luggage, all this stuff that they can't see to the bottom of because it's not see-through and there's too many things. But you, as a music therapist, have a see-through box. So you go, okay, let's lay it all down and then we can see everything. Then we'll go one by one and see what the thing is. Do we need it? Do we want it? What it is. And that is what I prefer over tabula rasa. We are not just a blank canvas, but we are a clear box. I know I use a lot of metaphors, but I find that with more emotionally focused uh, techniques and philosophies, that metaphors are the bread and butter. <laughs> Everyone does them. And I think that they really well communicate what it is that the person is trying to get across. Another technique I really like is receptive and improvisational music. Improvisational, I think you can kind of guess what that is. It's when you improvise something, so there's no set idea, no pre-recorded thing, no pre-talk on what it is. It's just you go and you do it. You could give a word prompt, say, clouds and then you go and play no one described what playing is a cloud what sounds like a cloud what sounds do clouds make i don't know but you say it and then you do it and then somehow 
you're like, yeah, that did sound like clouds. Whereas receptive music is a weird word for very simple things. Just means listening. You receive the listening, you know? And I like it because that leads well towards music and relaxation, uh, music and meditation, music and transferable skills. One of the best parts that I love about it is that receptive music therapy can be making a playlist of songs. And then you can take that with you everywhere. And every time you need it, it is right there on your phone. You can make it on YouTube, Apple Music, uh, Google, Spotify. I don't care, but you can make it and take it with you. And that is beautiful to me. While creating the script for this podcast, this episode, I spent a lot of time and energy trying to figure out a one or two sentence statement that just encapsulated my whole music therapy philosophies, models, all of this. And boy, oh boy, I have not come up with one yet. It's absolutely insane that I thought I could. This is so many things, even though they all interplay and interconnect so beautifully, I think. It's still so much to just say in a sentence. But I'm going to do my best right now to conclude and summarize this episode, this philosophy of mine that I'm so happy you stayed and listened with me. I'm a music therapist in training. These are my philosophies. I know over time, I'm sure some will change or develop or just be added. But for right now, where I am in life and where my training is, I am focused and leaning towards this encompassing circle of health. Music therapy for me is not just helping someone do one goal and not just seeing them as this person that wants to do one goal. It's to create a lasting impact by seeing the person as who they are in a whole everything that makes them them, including the things in the world that influence them. It's about being you in that room and realizing that the world influences you as well. And overall, it's about listening to the patient's whole being, whether that is verbal, musical, or body communications, listening to the whole thing and knowing that they all intersect. And so you, by doing music therapy, cannot just help one aspect. 
even if you just try to help one aspect, that is going to flow into everything else. And as a music therapist in training, I want to make sure that when I plan to help with one aspect, that when it flows into the rest of the human, it doesn't knock other things out of place. Helping align and balance one aspect should not deconstruct the rest of yourself. And I know that many people believe that and hold that as a very high moral. You know, other music therapists. I I know that we are all in the health profession or going into the health profession for good reasons and because we want to help people. I guess for me it just goes a little deeper knowing that what I say does not just It's not just a vacuum of space where I say it and then it's done and it's gone. This is a whole other human being. And if someone says something rude to me on the subway and it affects me and the rest of my day, of course something that happens in session will affect the rest of their day and affects them. My philosophy is recognizing the beauty in two humans sharing music and seeing each other for all that they are. Because society doesn't always do that. It doesn't always recognize that you are more than just a person of color. That you are more than just the language you speak or the economic status you have. I want my session room to be a place where people can come and know that they will be seen in their entirety and they can work through everything that they are. The last thing I want to say before our time together right now is done It's just that as a whole, you are an amazing human with so many things that intersect and you are worthy of health care, whether that's music therapy or not. You are worthy of that dedication of that professional to helping you You're worthy of your dedication to helping you. And I hope that one day I can help people as much as I hope I will. Whenever you may be listening to this, morning, afternoon, night, weekend, uh, during work, on your drive, I want to thank you for spending this time with me, listening to what I say, and... I wish you a great rest of your day. Wellness.